I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Sure. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. He's as much fun as a rebel party on Scarif. It's... It's true. Hey. Because there ain't no party Do like you ha- a rebel party. Because a okay, rebel cool. party explodes. Um. Yeah, the precedent is not great. You know... It's just not cool. Do you prefer the ATAT to the ATACT or whatever it is on Scarif? Uh, Which do you think is a better thing? <clears throat> See, that's so hard. I feel like the newer walkers, as far as like newer in that they were created with CGI and everything coming out and all of that, mm-hmm. are they look better like tactically. Like they look sturdier and like they have better armor and everything like that. But. The AT-ATs are just, they're classic. It's really amazing how well the classic AT-AT holds up. Isn't it's it? insane, man. Like, it still blows my mind. Like, I there's this weird thing. Since I found out how, like, miniatures work, sometimes <laughs> in TV I'm like, they definitely used a miniature for that, and you can tell it's a miniature. Or I'm like, mm-hmm. that was definitely a miniature, but it was so good. The only reason I know that is because I've watched enough behind-the-scenes stuff to know that's probably a shot they would have used a, a model for. <laughs> like, and and other people will be like, how do you, well, what? You think they just, like, took a helicopter and flew over this neighborhood and blew up one house or whatever? It's like, uh, and so that that technical wizardry is just so beautiful to behold. I don't know. I'm yeah. really in a behind-the-scenes mood right now because I just watched the uh, Light and Magic documentary. I was going to ask about that because I haven't watched it yet. I feel like there's been so much of, about how these things have been made over the past you know, 50 years almost. It's like, I, is there really any new information to unearth? I had watched a couple weeks ago now the when the special edition videos came out in like mm-hmm. 97, they had like a 25-minute behind-the-scenes thing for each film that came on the tape and I rewatched like all of those not too long ago. And I was, I feel like that was probably the most amount of information I had ever gotten on like how they actually did a lot of things when they were talking about what went wrong and how they fixed it. But I'm just kind of like, I haven't watched the light and magic one yet. Do you think there's new information or do they present it in a new way? Like what makes this worth uh, putting out there? It's definitely presented in a new way because a lot of the behind the scenes stuff focuses on what you were talking about, how they actually did the thing. Uh, that's not really the case in Light and Magic. Um, it's, okay. It is more about a couple things. Showing how ILM built up in both, um, you know, as, as a company, but also the group of people that were the original ILM and, and the family that that was created and where they how they progressed through the films and beyond. So you have that narrative. Okay. But on a, a larger scale, it does a really good job of putting into perspective um, how monumental certain things 
were in filmmaking in a way that is more connected than I think a lot of people think about. So you go, for example, from you can make a a clear point A to point C line. There's point B in the middle. You can go A to C and go ATAT into the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park easily in this documentary in a way that I don't think you you people really think about because it's that's miniatures and that's CGI and they think of it as separate and it's it does a really good job of showing that development of the practical and everything that came out of there and everything they learned out of that and how it led into yeah. the digital revolution and then also just how insanely quick the digital revolution was when when it hit so true uh it 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 does it in a way that yeah i don't think is done has been done at least on a on a scale like this of really going in and getting to know each of these important people like they were a character in the story um and not so much focusing on the story in and of itself, but focusing on the people in that story and its ramifications for Hollywood overall. So maybe maybe worth watching, yeah. Uh, so other than that, what have you been uh, Star Warsing lately? Ooh, it's been a little slow. I haven't. I've I've made a little bit of progress on the Shadow of the Sith. Is that the name of the book? That is the name I'm of the book. It is not down. Shadows, okay. uh, which I oh, it's said not. it is not. No, I read that. I I said that for. A long time, I called it Shadows oh, of the Sith. Oh, no. The internet well, corrected we'll have, me. <laughs> we'll have to, to figure out what your penance will be for that grave sin. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe uh, a third, maybe a half, maybe okay. three-eighths of the way into the book. I, I, I'm trying to pick through it. Is it weird that... All right, listen, if you haven't read this book, then you may just, just jump forward like a minute or two because it's not spoilers, but it is kind of... In, uh, I have a question about the structure of the book, okay? It, it's structured in kind of like a now versus then time structure where the story jumps back and then catches... Uh, and tells you a little bit of what, what happened here in time and then it tells you... And then it describes uh, current events as now. So from chapter to chapter... It could change whether the story is being told in real time or change whether the story is being told in real time versus something that happened in the past. But I don't think it has clearly identified for me the years that are difference, like exactly where in the timeline now is versus then and where is then in relationship to now. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, first off? Yes, I do. And one thing that you did mention that got to me and I was wondering about, then versus then. When is Lando's then versus yeah, Ray's parents' then? Yeah, are they the same? Mm-hmm. Like, are we supposed to believe these things are concurrent? Or are, are they just, are we just supposed to just allow it to be sometime in the past with some indeterminate unidentified fixed time in a timeline and, and so you're telling me that issue is not necessarily resolved or should you not answer that question at all i want to preface it by saying i have read two book two other books since then oh okay. so i'm not i'm going to say it doesn't come up in the book it doesn't make a difference in in the book but i could be wrong on that but i'm about 90 percent sure that it It, never actually delineates it okay i will do my best to persevere knowing that it is not a reconciled issue and perhaps it is a 
self-created issue and not something the author wants us to care about. Yeah, I wouldn't That's the say best it's I can re- do right now. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's relevant in any way. I, I suppose not to like the story, but like in, in, in terms of the galaxy at large, why does it feel? Does it feel like to you that there's a certain creative element that isn't interested in dates and times, whereas consumers seem to be much more interested in those things? Um, I mean, we're getting. We, we've gotten essential histories. We've gotten atlases. We've gotten we're, we've gotten major battles of the galaxy. I just feel like if we had some mile markers for these, this story in particular really brings it out. Um, and maybe it's unique to this particular entry. But do you feel like we're the ones who care about the timeline more? Uh, more. Yes, absolutely. But do you think they care about it to the appropriate degree? Would you like oh. to see more care from them, or do you think it's the right amount from, from again, what they are trying to accomplish from a storytelling perspective? Do you think it is an appropriate amount of information that we're getting, or do you feel like that's maybe too much or not enough? <laughs> you did not realize we were going to talk about this, did you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And it's a, it's a really interesting question, because it's kind of like the, the uh, you know, Snoke question after Force Awakens. Everybody made a big deal about Snoke. Right. The movie never made a big deal about who he was right and so that's that a good was, point that was a fan created debate doesn't make it less of a debate but when you're when you're asking are they achieving what they're what they are trying to achieve i would say yes they are and here here's why i say that i remember talking with zarada cordova after crash of fate came out I don't remember the exact words that she put it in, but essentially it came down to she wrote Crash of Fate in a 24-hour period, like the the story of that book. Now, it's obviously, it's a, it's a YA. It's a smaller book. It takes place in one place. So this is not a, a 100%. This happens all the time. But she wrote it in, in a 24-hour time period so that it could stay this contained story that that particular book was supposed to stay. So I think I took from that that Lucasfilm is concerned about the timeline as much as the timeline is important to the story that they are trying to tell. So for Shadow mm. of the Sith, then versus now, does it, it doesn't really matter. And if, as it stands with the canon right now, there's nothing that says the Lando's background and Ray's parents' background have to be at the same place or don't have to be at the same place, and that allows for more storytelling. So I think in that aspect, they are achieving what they are trying to achieve. I don't think that they are considering what I call the the Empire Strikes Back problem, which is is you don't know how long these time periods take. Nobody... It feels like Luke was on Dagobah for three days, but at the same time, you have Han and Leia traveling at less than hyperspeed, which means less than the speed of light, which means really frigging slow in space. So those timelines, it it's con- makes it confusing, but the story it's telling doesn't need it to be clear. The lessons that come from it don't get diminished. The story that we're telling doesn't get diminished. There's jokes online of Luke trained to be a Jedi for like three days and all of those things. And there's the time works differently on force planets. There's all of these fun explanations. (laughs) But at the end of the day, 
for the story that it's telling and the story that they are trying to tell, not the academic history we as fans are trying to figure out, I think they're doing what they, they're trying to do. So that's right, my long-ended enough. answer. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, thanks for just confirming that with a yes. <laughs> I mean, why say it with fewer words when you can say it with more? We, when you can use one, you should be using ten. There you go. Uh, so speaking of uh, adding more things on, uh, we've added on more days until Andor is coming out. So oh yeah, that's turns fun. out. <laughs> turns out. I mean, we were it wrong. Wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a Star Wars project if it didn't get delayed or pushed back in some way, shape, or form. We should just come to expect these things. Like when we get it, great. If not, okay. We uh, we had planned on doing a couple shows focusing on. Uh, Andor and Andor related content but uh, with it being shifted back a little bit we are kind of playing a a little bit of an audible Uh, so you'll be getting some Andor centric content coming out on the network over the next couple weeks here Uh, so you'll get a, a, a little taste of of a little bit everything Cassian Andor and Drew and I thought tonight that uh since Cassian is one of those heroes that we didn't even know about until Rogue One, the documentary, came out. <laughs> documentary. It, dude, that would be the best documentary. Of all the Star Wars movies, that's the documentary I want. We okay. figured, hey, let's let's think about the other, uh, the other Rebels and talk about some unsung heroes of the Rebellion like one Cassian Andor. So we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, We are going to talk about Cassian and so much more. You're not the only one who lost everything. Some of us just decided to do something about it. Cassian's also equally complicated. He proves to be a very, very important intelligence officer. He clearly has lost family members, so he's damaged in some way. He's following orders initially when we meet him. Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. What's fascinating about Cassian is that he embodies that type of storytelling element of being an intelligence agent who often has to make those really hard calls. I mean, that's what spies do. Spies are on their own in the field without support, and occasionally they'll be pushed into that corner where they have to make those grim choices. All right, guys, we are back, and we are here today discussing unsung heroes of the Rebellion. So this is going to be a really fun conversation um we, we are kind of uh we've got a launching point and we're going to kind of see where we go from there as we discuss characters uh and people who made a big impact on the rebellion and on the victory against the empire but aren't the, the hans and luke's and leia's of of the galaxy so drew according to you you had some rules you set in place <laughs> Uh, well, as we we tried to put things together, we wanted to talk about um, individuals that made a difference who you might not have really sat down and thought about or had more of a story to be told than what we got. And so I was trying to look at characters that um, kind of fit that mold of like, okay, who is in- integral to the story, yet maybe they don't have a name in any of the films. And you'd have to like read an obscure comic book from the 80s or something to really figure out where they came from. And whatnot. So I was kind of like digging into um, the first group that came to mind was all the different pilots at the Battle of Yavin, like red and red and gold squadrons. Um, but really, red leaders stuck out. Uh, it, it kind of 
his role there. I saw actually, believe it or not, there is a YouTube video that I watched that kind of described the impact he had on that on the Death Star trench run, where he his run and his attempt and his failure to to sink the proton torpedo where it was really set Luke up for his own success because it demonstrated um, the that the reliance on the traditional technology in order to accomplish the thing wasn't going to work. And so Luke would have to find a deeper power or you or a force in order to achieve the goal that they had set out. You know, there's a scene early on in the briefing room where they talk about, you know, can the targeting computers even hit that? You know, Wedge, I think it's Wedge who brings up, you know, can the computers even hit that or something like that. And you know, that's kind of what Red Leader's run shows us that no, they can't. But there's something that I never noticed. I don't know if you've noticed this either, because I kind of grew up on the full screen editions of the of the films. If you watch A New Hope with the widescreen version, and even the Blu-ray has it now, or the um the uh, streaming one on Disney Plus, when there's a quick shot when Luke is making his trench run, he fires the torpedoes, you get a quick shot of the two torpedoes going into the thermal exhaust port, right? But if you look to the left you can actually see scorch marks from where Red Leader's torpedoes hit and didn't actually go in. I'd never seen that before. That's pretty so cool. I, yeah, like that's a detail that the, that somebody found and really used it to tell a story. And I like that. It's kind of like a, a last-minute reminder that shows you the guys who used the targeting computer, it went to zero, it had the mark, it was good to go, and it was still off. Like faith in a man-made device is only going to be as good as the people who put it together and the people who programmed the thing to do the job. I don't know about you, but I don't know too many people who can put things together perfectly every single time. And so in this particular event, there was probably a course correction off by like half a millimeter, and that was enough to make a difference. But Luke, when when he trusts in something greater than that, is able to actually succeed beyond, um, what the man-made technology was able to accomplish. So I thought that his role as Red Leader was really neat. The character's name is Garvin Drace. Um, there's a little bit of his backstory you can find on Wikipedia. It's mostly legends-based, where he was part of a planet that he was fighting. Even during the Clone Wars, he was he was a, a fighter, and then the Empire disbanded the uh, aircraft military unit that he was a part of and so instead of joining the imperial navy he defected along with anton merrick uh in and to form who would go on to to pilot uh gold squad or uh, blue squadron rather at the battle of scarif so he knew merrick from from i guess back in the day which is pretty cool so i, I kind of like that but the thing that i wanted to break about rules was I, and i'm not always happy to put a, a spotlight on these kinds of things but incom corporation i thought was pretty cool as they fought on the side of the angels in the in the Star Wars universe, as it were, and how they continually put together and improved upon their designs of the X wings, um, which they they started off with a couple different designs and whatnot. The Arc Fighter, which actually has a really weird acronym, A R C, stands for something stupid. Um, I can see if I can try and pull it up while we're while we're talking about it, because the is it the Advanced Recon Ad, Aggressive Reconnaissance One Seventy Starfighter is the Arc One Seventy. That's the clone pilot X wing looking thing at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. It's an aggressive reconnaissance starfighter. Now I don't know if all English language definitions translate from our world into the Star Wars world, but can you have aggressive reconnaissance? I mean, if you can have aggressive negotiations, you can have aggressive 
reconnaissance. I would argue you can't have aggressive negotiations, but that's a different conversation. But I was starting to look into like Incom and Coincere, which is the group that made, makes the Y-Wings. As much as I love the Y-Wing, um, it's hard to argue that, you know, they're as important as the X-Wing in the history of the Rebellion. But it was kind of it was kind of neat to look at these different groups and how they were actually actually Incom was nationalized by the Empire when the Empire came to rule. They took over the company, but they had a defection where most of the major technicians, scientists, and and architects and whatnot, engineers, defected from the company and took with them the plans for the new X wings and actually used those um, to to build up the fleet of the Alliance, which I thought was pretty neat. That's a fun like idea too because in catalyst which is the rogue one prequel novel they talk about how both the separatists and the republic had been working on ideas that were essentially the death star so you had really yeah to me it sets up like palpatine was pitting different people against each other right right in order to try to force them into succeeding through competition and destruction of others right whereas the rebels take information that was misused or would be misused energy that would be misused and they put it in a different direction i was just watching kenobi tonight and just like really stood out to (laughs) me when Ben said that, you know, in the uh, in the final episode, he said to the people on on the transport, you spent years protecting the Jedi. Now let me repay that to you. And just that taking of an idea from one place where it's going to be, uh, you know, misused, go after the Jedi. You have people that are going after the Jedi, but to protect them. So they're taking this idea and they're back, they're repackaging it in a new way, much like like an Iden Versio or something like that. So oh, interesting. Those, okay. those kind of details, those kind of threads are what really, to me, build the story, but also show, particularly for the Rebellion, what a, a long but also tight rope that was. There were so many pieces strung together that had to fit yeah. together in just a certain way. Right. And that's why I think like Rebels does a good job of demonstrating how the individual cells were kept separate from each other so that there was less uh, fragility in that connection. The, uh, when they had them running separate ops and kind of so they wouldn't run into each other, but it kept, it kept them like with that plausible deniability. So if they're captured and said, where's the rest of the group? They could say, this is all we are. It's, you know, the six of us here on Lothal. And that's really all the connection we have to the, rebellion at large and it it kind of compartmentalizes the the effort and the resources so that there's less threat from 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 planet to planet but it also had to become united in in some way and that's what i'm excited yeah i'm excited with uh with andor because i just rewatched rebels getting ready for it and the episode with Mon Mothma, you get to see her formally unite, I guess is the best way to say it, formally unite the rebellion into one force, taking all of those different cells and okay, going, yeah, meet here, we're together now. Um, so, like, 
I think we recognize Mon Mothma as important to the rebellion, but mostly just because we've been told that she was the leader for so long, and we have the Legends books where she was the first chancellor, and that matches up with the canon books where she's the first chancellor. Like, we have this repetition of the idea that she's important, but we hadn't really seen why until Rebels cracked that door open a little bit. And you go, okay, she really is the central figure, but how did she get there? I think that's going to inform a lot about how the rebellion was built and really the the core of the people who make it up, not the people who are getting the press, not the Lukes and Leias of the galaxy that anybody, they get recognized anywhere they go, but the Cassian Andors and the Harrison Doulas and the, the ones that are a parallel, an analogy to the every man that had to step up and fight in order mm-hmm. to make this something that could plausibly happen in both a storytelling aspect, but also in galaxy, you know, uh, you can't have yeah. one casting indoor. You need 15, 20, a hundred thousands of yeah, Th- yeah. operatives across the yeah. galaxy. Yeah. Well, it's but, like, we even know that there's more than one fulcrum character. Like that's, it's a code name, but it's more like a rank than it is an actual individual. Exactly. And like at that time, you're not going to, you're going to have one Jedi. Maybe two Jedi, if if you know Ezra were to come huh. back or something. Yeah. You're well, the more ha- stories they tell, they have like, if they conveniently continue to get more and more I, and more. I so know. we'll see uh, about that. <laughs> allegedly, you can't have Jedi everywhere uh, in the Galactic to Legends. Civil War. <laughs> but you can have a thousand Cassians. You can have mm-hmm. you know a hundred uh, red leaders. So. Yeah, like so. That's to me. Like, I thought about, okay, who are the characters who were important to the movement of the Rebellion, but don't get connected to it a lot? It kind of goes with Rogue One's idea of what kind of person made up the Rebellion. What kind of person were the foundational bricks that were laid of, you know, like, Kenobi telling Roken, like, people follow you, don't stop. Well, right. Roken, in and of himself, he, he's going to impact the people, like, right around him. But if you get 10 Rokens, all of a sudden now you have 10 planets that are impacted, that are making more Rokens, that, like, it just keeps growing with this idea and this type of person um, who, and it took a bunch of different types of people. Right, like Mon Mothma and Cassian Andor fought in very different ways, who also fought in different ways from like Enfys Nest. And mm. whereas the Empire tried to make everybody fit into this box and fight their way and and get rid of individuality by making all the officers the same and they have to follow the same protocols. And whereas the rebellion goes, we're gonna honor your for you know humanity if you will and utilize your skills to make you as influential as possible for this movement and for what we believe in in the future republic i don't know just thinking about it now and how all of those different threads have to go together it's really just hitting me what a what a massive undertaking and and process it took to build 
the rebellion. Have you seen? Have you watched the newest trailer uh, for Andor? I have not. What is your current policy on information contained therein? I mean, as long as it's not anything that's like spoilery, I'm I'm fine with it. For for our friendly listeners, I they'll know who I'm talking about. character gets one basically one line and the character only needed one line and i was like yep i'm in that's the part of the show i want to watch now that's okay. it just that particular character stuff and i'm sure this character's in it for about 15 seconds and is gone because that seems to be the uh, the way these trailers go but that's fine with me it's gonna be a good 15 seconds i think so um you know rogue one was definitely one of the best of the disney era films so I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of kind of everything connected to that. And this particular character is connected to that. And I'm cool with that. I do hope we get a couple. Uh, I hope we get a little bit more of the senatorial issues because I think your, your point of, about Mon Mothma is uh, I'm mostly on board with it because I feel like we do get a bit of information. Rebels does give us a lot about what she's contributing to the movement. But I feel like a lot of that is also implied in like Rogue One and in return of the jedi right like she's there at both of the major battle plan formation meetings but she's clearly not a military presence so i feel like we can we can clearly get that she's supposed to be leading from a different angle and and really uh, a rebellion like that has two major aspects there's the political and then there's the militaristic so she's got to be somebody who's been leading that i don't even think they address her as senator in return of the jedi I don't even uh, think they say her name yeah. in Return of the Jedi. Uh, they. Mm, I think she they introduces. Say, she introduces, she introduces Akbar and, and Maydeen. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. The Emperor's made a critical error, and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoints the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. We also know that the weapon systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Which is pretty interesting to think about, but I, I, she gets more to do in Rogue One. Um, and she's not in Force Awakens, is that right? Because they, when they destroy Hosnian Prime, she's not Chancellor at that time either. No, is she? she wasn't Chancellor at that time. She only does it for the first couple of years. And then she kind of went off because I remember in Bloodline, there was like mm-hmm. a brief moment of like before they were going to create this first senator position that Leia was going to win, there was a, a talk of like bringing Mon Mothma back, and people were like, that's too close to being. And a new emperor or whatever she wouldn't do that i'll be interested to see like what her senatorial because she's in we get a little bit i think in the queen's book is it queen shadow i think now she meets padme she, meets bail at that point no she meets mon Mothma at the same time well not the same time but the same book there's a party that she goes to um that she she attends with you know palpatine is there and Bail Organa is there, and I think she meets Mon Mothma for the first time at that point because she's she's already a senator from Chandrilla. Yeah, early well, on in the game, and and that links her to Padme, right? Which is huge mm-hmm. because 
she's also so strongly linked to Leia because we give right. Bale a lot of credit for raising and mentoring Leia, but more content, including particularly Leia, Princess of Alderaan, has shown that Mon Mothma played a big role in Leia's life. She teaches her how to play the game. Like, Bail Organa instills the values and, and and develops the character, which is absolutely necessary, but Mon Mothma teaches her how to play the, within the sandbox, which she needs those tools. It goes beyond that, too, because I'm reading uh, Princess and the Scoundrel, and Mon Mothma especially it seems like after you know uh leia lost uh bail and breha became her her mother figure and also became kind of a foundation uh a a tentpole for how leia built herself because in the book spoiler alert uh han and leia get married oh no (laughs) i know it's Mon Mothma who has a conversation with Leia of, no, you need to take time to celebrate your marriage and, and our, our victory, not because it's the fight is over, but because if we don't celebrate these things, if we don't have these moments, what are we fighting for? And True. the way that, that the conversation is, is written makes it very clear that this isn't the first time that they've had a conversation of of this nature and of this weight and they just have an easy rapport that you it the author doesn't even need to say that they've worked together for all of these years and uh you know mon mothma shaped her and and showed her how to play politics in the game it's in the way that the characters talk it's how they speak to each other it's their body language and all of these things um and and that i think is something that you can see in leia and we can piece those together the more information we get of how we see mon mothma carry herself in rebels where she's leading from the front and she's uniting people um and and what we're going to see of her in in this Andor series. I mean, every, yeah. everything I've seen with her just makes her look like she walks into every room like she completely controls it um, and just has that energy hmm. that brings people together. Like, uh, And that's what makes Leia special. Leia was 19 years old and she's out there having grown adults who are grew up in the Clone Wars or are Clone Wars veterans who are like, yeah, we're going to follow this teenager. And that doesn't come <laughs> without having those people around you that shape you. And so I think if they give us more of that, it, it makes these characters that are kind of B characters, C characters that maybe have been, you know, in the movies in particular that have been built up in these other series. And it makes it even more clear how the rebellion was all about the interaction of the people that made it up and how they built Mm. each other up because you can see it in paralleled characters or characters who are in their sphere. You can see their behaviors acting the same way. Hmm. So yeah, it would be really exciting to see where, what, what they can tell, what uh, new adventures we, we get out of her in this one. So I did. She had a, she had a hand in, recruiting Jin, Jin Urso. I'd be interested to see if she has to uh, approve Cassian's adoption into the family too. We know that 
Cassian says, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. We know he tells Jin, like, suddenly yeah, the rebellion is real for you now. Like, this is something that really matters to him, and he's obviously been in it for a long time in one way, shape, or another. I'm sure we'll get more of that. He becomes a fulcrum agent. And the two other fulcrum agents that we know are Ahsoka and... Uh, why am I callous from rebels, right? Oh, Ahsoka yeah. is a former Jedi and callous is a former Imperial. Does that mean that, I mean, Andor obviously wasn't a former Jedi. Does that mean fulcrum goes to, to somebody from the outside that joins in to feed information from the empire? Was Cassian maybe an Imperial officer for a second or something, or had a connection with one? Yeah, some kind of, like, sh- shedding some kind of a past, right? Right. Some kind of a, a, a new creation kind of concept that the person has to undergo in order to not necessarily make up for their past, but to truly set it aside and take up some kind of new particular role. So I, I don't know that it's an Imperial agent, but we'll have to see. I don't, you know, obviously Cassian's statement of I've been in this fight since I was six years old doesn't mean he was with the rebellion since he was six. Right. But I think it's, we should be clear that it's just more like this affected him at a young age and he's always been in this mode of like, I'm going to put down this particular entity. Like I'm going to fight against this particular empirical or imperial um, government. I'm never going to submit to its wills and whatnot. Cause that you can instill in a kid. Well, it's like, you know, Leia, um, when she's walking onto the platform at the, on uh, part six, and she's got the holster and everything like that, and oh, yeah. she tells Bale, her line is, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to want to change some things. And Bale says, how about we change them together, right? Like, right. it's not saying it's okay for a 10-year-old to be, you know, fighting on the front lines, but it is saying that past influences the future and that whatever's going on with the parent is going to affect the child. We see Leia get really shaken in Princess of Alderaan because she feels like her parents aren't trusting her because they're going off and having all these dinner parties and meetings and things that they don't want to let her be a part of. So it's obviously not happening for Cassian on the scale of a princess of a planet and and the people ruling the planet we know that about him but does the fight that his parents do or maybe don't fight cause like you said this history him to make these choices that maybe he needs some absolution and some redemption for that could be really really powerful yeah because he talks about things that i think he he has a line to the degree of that we've all done things we're not proud of right yeah, yeah, right before they go off, and, and essentially he's like, if we don't win this fight, what was it all for? True. He's representative of the reality of the rebellion and not the heart of the rebellion. The heart and the intention was to be like the Padmes and Mon Mothmas, who had the uh, the past and, and the political background and the capacity and capability to be idealistic and highly ethical, right? Um Whereas Cassian, he's more of the reality. He's more of the Saw Guerrera, where mm. in war, there has to be, so that there can be the Padmes and Mon Mothmas, there have to be the individuals who get their hands dirty. So 
what I really want out of the series and the thing that has just always been something, even though he's not one of my favorite characters, it's what draws me to Cassian is that question of what got him to the point where he was willing to be the one who had to get his hands dirty. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to have to form some of the narrative there because that's really the most interesting question about the characters. We know where he ends up, but the the question then has to become the journey there. I think you're right about the spectrum idea because we know that... I think the Star Wars universe tells us pretty clearly that Saw Gerrera is the end of the spectrum. We have to find a, a pacifist supporter to be the opposite side of the spectrum, I think. I, I think we can safely say Mon Mothma right now. Well, even she's gonna she she's still willing to condone you know a, a violent incursion in order to get what she needs to get done done. Uh, Somebody yeah. who would yeah. you know, and maybe this maybe might be somebody they have to include. Maybe there's a new senator or some kind of over you know group that they have to overcome who wants to who wants change, but strictly within the system and and refuses to engage in any kind of uh, violent overthrow of the government. Maybe they're going to use Garm Bell Iblis or something. I think he was a senator at some point in those Clone Wars. Maybe he'll be back. Um, yeah, I, I think because he's going to feel you know Cassian would feel the pull between you know the ability to see your goals accomplished by means of a thermal detonator are going to get you one result instead of, you know, a vote in Congress. But the cost that it comes with that could be so great for him that it causes him to lose sight of what really matters anymore. I mean, that's kind of what we would expect. I think that's what Rogue One really wants us to understand about him is that he struggles with that. You know, he struggles with his orders to take out um, Galen Erso right? Mm-hmm. He had orders to take him down, but he's not willing to do that because he's got a, you know, the Jin being involved and having such a close relationship, she goes and, and complicates the mission. And so that's, that's an issue. And so that kind of informs us about his character. He's still trying to make those decisions, but I, I, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be really great. I, th- I hope we get more characters like him who are kind of those, the boots on the ground guys who are having to deal with those, life and death situations on, on the regular and how they do that. I'll be interested to see if they, they're, they're able to make that uh, as exciting. Everything that I've heard seems like it's going to be a really successful show. You know, they've already got season two. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be 12, okay. 12 episodes and 12 episodes, I believe. 24 total episodes. Wow, that's so a lot. A lot, that's of, a lot stuff. of story to tell. Yeah. It's a lot of story. To, and we do know, like, from interviews and stuff that came out at celebration stuff that it's going to be like we kind of have an idea of the timeline i think season one i know that timeline season one (laughs) covers a year time period and season two will go across five years they've they've figured out how all of this fits together and all the different pieces and stuff like that right Mm -hmm. so well yeah they've as far as we know without the the series (laughs) being out yet they have put a lot of time and effort into thinking how the rebellion would have been formed. And so when I was thinking of that, you know, and thinking of even as we're talking, these ideas of needing a type of person, um, I couldn't help thinking this is going to shock a grand total of zero people. 
Oh, boy. There's going to be a cave involved, isn't there? Well, there could be. I could always spin it that way. But, no, there's going to be an Ahsoka involved. <laughs> because as I was thinking about it, and I'm thinking about these characters that they're taking the time to tell these stories about in individual series, Ahsoka set the standard for the rebellion being about the cause and not about the individual. Because when she joins up with Bail and becomes the first fulcrum, she is very clear to him that she does not want to be known as a Jedi or mm-hmm. anything, uh, anybody, uh, uh, she doesn't want to be known at all, really. And so that's why she is going to go by Fulcrum. That's going to be her, her name. So that nobody knows about what she was connected to in the past because Fulcrum is an idea, not a person, right? Right. And so... I think that comes from, and this will link back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, how things get affected and how uh, people are are brought in to the fight. The Martez sisters in season seven of Clone Wars, that for Ahsoka, that is set up to show why she can't sit back and let Mandalore fall even though she has a very shady history with the people of Mandalore and Bo-Katan in particular, because she sees how the war affects the everyday person. Mm -hmm. Like we can assume right now that Cassian was at the time of the war and how much it takes out of them and the cost that it has. And that the Jedi stopped standing for what the Jedi were supposed to stand for, which is believing in something bigger than yourself. And that's what the rebellion is able to, to do so to me ahsoka is important to the rebellion in particular because she takes the lessons and the trauma and the connections from the clone war and uses it to build and support the rebellion and help to make it and and set its foundation as something that took all the good things from the republic in order to rebuild a new republic through the rebellion. Hmm. As we get toward, you know, as we're, we're coming you know, to Andor and the stories of the pre-Battle of Yavin, the kind of the birth of the Rebel Alliance and kind of seeing how it formed, what stories, if you had the infinite amount of time between here and there, would you want to go back and revisit ahead of this, though? Like, what, what would you like want to read Like stories that already exist? or Yeah, like, what would okay. you want to read through or watch again just to kind of refresh your refresh and kind of connect back with, like, what makes sense in this time period? Because I was trying to think of, like, what are the entries we have that, that really take place in this world? And it's not a, as much as I thought, honestly. No, definitely rewatch Rebels. Uh, yeah. The, at, least the, at least season three and four. Yeah, because four is when when Mon Mothman and Saw Gerrera have their out and out, right? Uh, yeah, it's towards the I, end of the season, end isn't of it? the the series. But season three, end of season three, I believe, is when you start getting some Saw Gerrera and um, you've met Mon Mothma before uh, mm-hmm. that little tit a tat with uh, with Saw Gerrera. So. <laughs> Definitely rewatch season three. I like four. that scene. That scene is great. It's so good. Madam Senator, I'm honored. What is your business here? You ignored my warning about the Delindi relay and paid the price. Now you have confirmation, yet still you refuse to destroy it. 
So long as our allies in the Senate have hope of a peaceful resolution to this conflict, I will not risk... If you continue to allow this war to be fought on the Empire's terms, not yours, you are going to lose. I will not be lectured on military strategy by a man who has proven himself a criminal. The Empire considers both of us criminals. <laughs> At least I act like one. You target civilians! Kill those who surrender! Break every rule of engagement! If we degrade ourselves to the Empire's level, what will we become? There she is! That's the leader the Rebellion needs! Where is that fire, that passion, when your people need it most? I hope, Senator, after you've lost, and the Empire reigns over the galaxy, unopposed, you will find some comfort in the knowledge that you fought according to. The other thing that I would say would be Solo, actually. Really? Be yeah, because Emphis Nest and her speech at the end there about why she's fighting against Crimson Dawn, they have a divide and conquer situation going on because Emphis Nest is not fighting the Empire proper. She's fighting and her people are fighting against the syndicates. But... We also know that the Empire allows for and even promotes the criminal underworld so to to sow these seeds of chaos and, and make everybody think that they need the Empire. So mm -hmm. if you limit the amount of damage that the syndicates can do, you're limiting the chance of having a war on two fronts where you've got an Empire that you have to fight against, but you've also got all these crime syndicates to fight against. And so people like Emphis Nest who fought the smaller fights like that, I think are, are characters that should be revisited and we should think about when we're thinking about characters like Cassian who were the boots on the ground people. Good advice. We might have to try and reconsider that. Yeah. As I'm reading Princess and the Scoundrel, I'm thinking of, you know, you have these symbols. It's, it's made very clear that Leia is the symbol of the rebellion. Um, right. And so we need these symbols beforehand. And when you can't have them be out at the forefront like you can Alea, you need these more subtle symbols. You know, you, you think back to, uh, uh, you know, the time when Christianity was building and the, the Jesus fish. You'd have one person just draw the little curve in the sand with their toe. And if the other person drew the other side, then you knew that you believed in the same thing. Uh, that kind of stuff that connects people together. And I think people like Emphis Nest are able to become that for certain groups. So Nice. Yeah. There's, well, there's give, so I'll many. Give, I'll give that back half of the movie another shot sometime this week. Maybe that'll help clear it up and re refresh my memory. I, I also just, while we were talking, ordered a copy of Princess Leia of Alderaan because I think I want to try and read that in the meantime. Oh, man. I, I love it so oh, good. Oh, gosh. I really hope I don't already have a copy of it because it's already paid. Shoot. If you <laughs> do, the worst. find the worst. a teacher that you can send it to. Oh, that's true. We should talk about that for a minute. We should. Um, no, actually, it's a good way to kind of bring it to a close because we, uh, I guess we're starting. We've started. We are having doing a little bit of a rebellious what? thing here by taking uh, this silly little podcast that we have and using it to try to help some teachers out and put books in classrooms. So, yeah. And with school starting up now, is a great time to get ahead of, ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, kids are going back a lot of, you know, I think everybody's back in school now, but I think everybody's kind of like really 
enjoyed the summertime and but now it's time to get back to it and so i know i had a friend of mine on just on facebook say hey if anybody's got any of these books these kinds of teen or ya books just sitting on your shelf you're not reading anymore it'd be great if i could stock my classroom up and it's like aha we have a solution to that particular problem so yeah you can go to the website clashingsavers.net there's a nominated teacher spot put in their contact information and we'll just mail them a box of books we just need to know to whom and to where it needs to go and and they'll get it in the mail and they get to keep them forever. Uh, that's yeah, something I absolutely. really like that we do, that these are not books that we're sending to the school, that these right. are books that go with the teacher. And as a teacher, I can say that that's really powerful for a couple reasons. One, you start to, to see what kids connect with and you get a bigger idea for what else, what materials you should bring in and stuff to connect with them. To, to teach them these stories, but also just having uh, more books in your classroom, especially if you're a Star Wars fan, regardless of whether the kids read the Star Wars books or not, it shows a sense of yourself that builds that community and, and connection um, with other people. So, I mean, if mm -hmm. you know a teacher, uh, they don't have to love Star Wars, doesn't right. hurt if they do um, because <laughs> surely they know someone in their school who does too. Yeah. You like know, there's these, gotta be one. These are, are, are not just books. These are ways to connect people and bring people together. Um, and so we have amazing people who support us. I got, I got a, one in my inbox the other day. I'm like, I have no idea who this person is or who the person who sent the email is, but this sounds great. <laughs> and so we're sending, we're sending her books to a small school she works in where teachers share books and kids are able to go into other classrooms and get books. So we're going to be able to send these books to one classroom and have it impact hundreds of kids um, and all, all of that's because of, of our patrons. Like we get to talk about it. We get the, the fun of, of sending the books out and stuff like that, but it doesn't happen without those boots on the ground. So to all of you who are, are a part of that, we thank you very, very much. And if you want to be a part of that, you can go over to, uh, patreon.com uh, slash clashing sabers, or we also mm -hmm. have that link on our, uh, our website, clashing sabers.net. So yeah, and we gotta That's start getting kinda... geared up. For, we gotta get geared up for our, our wintertime uh, fundraising as well. I know. I just thought about that today. I was like, man, I need to get my tail in gear because we got a top last year. So oh, um, I know it's gonna be tough, but we gotta work on that. The the challenge is is always exciting, and I have no doubt that uh, the Star Wars fandom, as it always does, uh, will come together around around the things that really matter. Drew, speaking of communities like that, we're just going to continue going with this really long-winded advertisement. Tell people about our Facebook group. Uh, so the Facebook group, uh, Star Wars Clashing Sabers, is a great place to kind of join and hang out with the post the episodes and, and get your thoughts and feedback on there. Quite, You can ask questions. We can um, trade fun Taylor Swift gifts and things like that and use that to communicate instead of actual English language, which is my favorite thing to do. It also, for some reason, seems to be the place I have to defend uh, the honor of Ronin being the best Star Wars book ever released. Just seems to come up from now and again. So if you're on, if you have a hill you'd like to die on, that would be a great place to uh, to go and share that with us. And we can either uh, stand next to you or stand in front of you, whichever <laughs> one uh, fits the particular situation. So find us on the Star Wars Clashing Sabers. I think is the name of it, right? It is. Yes, it is. All right. And uh, we also have, of course, our Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, which are all at Clashing Sabers. So uh, all of those links will be in the show notes, as always. But 
Um, Drew, before we go, we have to. Mm. We have mm. to talk mm. about really a, a, a group before its time that really exemplifies the rebellion. Do you yeah. know who that is? The New York Yankees. Batch 8, though. Hi-ho, indeed. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away. I used to work at Blockbuster Video, and I worked there for two and a half years before it closed. And there was this big pipe in the middle of the, the floor that was like maybe six inches wide. And you just ran from ceiling to floor. It was one of those just yeah. air conduction kind of things. Painted bright yellow. You cannot miss it. And I think I ran into it every single month that I worked there. <laughs> oh, man. I can tell you where any movie was placed on any shelf in that entire store. But I would continue to run into the same stupid, you know, sunshine yellow pole. <laughs> It blends in so much at at Blockbuster. It's like (laughs) bright yellow is camouflaged. It it just kind of burns into your retinas a little bit. So now I close my eyes and all I see is yellow (laughs) pipes. It's so yellow in the afterlife. (laughs) God. Everyone's wearing blue polos. It's terrible. (laughs) This is hell. I'm going to hell. Hell hell is just a blockbuster that never ends. Hell is a blockbuster for 2009. (laughs) It's just got rows and rows of movies, but none that you've heard of. Now it's it's it, what is it? It's gonna be um like oh jeez I can't even think of like the most terrible movie I'd never want to watch like Weekend at Bernie's two 